Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the JKWD podcast. We're welcome here for your first time. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Don't let the don't let the length put you off. Um, you know, we don't we don't get over an hour a lot, but we definitely did today. Um, and uh, and lots of I think the I think the phrase the kids are using is knowledge bombs. <laughs> Is that what they use? <laughs> oh, that's a lot better than those. Uh, no, nah, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Now that you are. Yeah, so we had, we have we had Nick Jenkel on today. Um, he's done. Uh, he um, he's done. I mean, he he does a lot of speaking uh, to companies and governments and um about leadership and change and, and stuff. But um, I think he said a lot of things today that it, um, will reach everybody, uh, whether you're an employee or an entrepreneur, or, you know, if you plan on living more than the, another five, six years on this planet. Uh, so we'll get to enjoy that in a minute. But in the meantime, how you doing, Kelvin? I'm doing great. Mr. Shear, thank you very much. Here I am living it up in upstate New York where we actually have blue skies today Ooh. and sunlight. Whoa. Wonderful. Don't let, it, don't let it fool you. There's always one more around the corner. I, uh, I, uh, you know, I kind of enjoy it for what it is. <laughs> and, uh, and the weather is such that I don't actually have to shovel anything today, so I can go out in it and enjoy it for its sake, which hasn't been the case for the past few days. So, uh, yeah, life is good. I'm feeling great, almost like a teenager, but uh, smarter. Uh, <laughs> excuse me, more experienced. <laughs> and life is good. How about you? I'm doing great. You know, I am... Um it's been it's been a rough week in newborn land <laughs> mm. um you know just somebody didn't want to sleep this week really without being attached to a to an adult human I see. Uh, so uh you know it took a couple of nights to to figure out how that was going to work so that you know we could also the adult humans could also sleep mm. <laughs> um you want but so much. You expect so much. I, you know, I don't. I don't feel like I need much. But you know, like if I can get one interrupt, one uninterrupted block of about three and a half hours uh-huh. a night, and then you know a couple of naps during the day, I'm okay usually. Mm. Or you know, like but if I can get two three-hour blocks, yeah, you know, with with that hour in between, you know doing the baby maintenance, mm-hmm. but there are, there are a couple of nights there where blah, it was not happening. <laughs> um, I came, I came into this conversation this morning, kind of hoarse and not really awake. And then, um, something about Nick's energy, I think, and, and seeing your smiling face, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm uh, glad I could help. Back up. <laughs> glad I could help. Yeah. The coffee probably didn't hurt any. Either. Um, no, and you know, I've started putting MCT oil in my coffee, um, which is a, it's a little bit of a brain boost. Um, you know, I, I had tried this once before, a few months ago, maybe last summer, I think, 
and um, it wound up not being a great idea for me. Uh, maybe I put too much in the couple of times I did it because I got to tell you, a couple of days at a time when I couldn't wander too far from the restroom, mm. if you know what I mean. But M now, MCT? MCT stands for uh, medium chain triglycerides. It's uh, usually derived from coconut oil. Um, uh -huh. So it's just a little bit of non-animal fat um, to you know, kickstart your metabolism, and and it's so does it drive them up or down? I don't think it does anything to your triglycerides. It oh, just, okay. Um, <clears throat> it, uh, I'll check it, it out. It's really just, uh, hey, pow! I'm here. You know, just. Yeah, it, it hits a it hits a different part of your brain than the caffeine receptors. Gotcha. All right. Well, I may have to, I may have to check that out. Uh, last I checked, however, for me, uh, if it adds my my yeah, my triglycerides didn't need any company. Any, no, they don't. Yeah, yeah. My um, doctor. So, was, so you might want to talk to your doctor before you try that. Um, uh, my tri my triglycerides to, are just fine. He he wants me to take meds. <laughs> So between now and my next checkup, I gotta let him. I gotta, I, um, I gotta demonstrate that I don't need that. Well, my doctor is doing everything he can to try to keep me off meds. He says, you know, and he, yeah, he's, so. he's been telling me what I need to do and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to trying to keep up with that. You'll be happy to know, however, that I have started to change my sleep habits so I get more than the sleep that I am customarily getting. That, that's good, and you know, our 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 old guest, our one of our guests, Camille, would be happy to know that as well. You know? I may, I may email her and let her know. Yeah, so she check in with her. Hey, <laughs> finally listened. I feel good, <laughs> but I get tired quicker. <laughs> it's like, why do I need to go to sleep at eleven o'clock? What's wrong with this? What happened to four? Yeah. But hey, well, if you can, if you can be more productive in those awake hours, then then you can afford to get a better life. Well, you know, Josh, one step at a time. <laughs> First is being awake, then there's being productive, right? <laughs> we'll just right. work it. We just work it out. But life is good. I got no I got no problems uh life sorry. So good. Well we'll just do a quick little hey, we're brought to you today by Vitamin K Daily. If you want four weeks free, vitamin K dot com. Vitamin K daily dot com, right? Yeah. I should, I should do that correctly, right? Don't, don't go yeah, to vitamink.com. Well, I mean, it doesn't you, bring you anywhere. Vitaminkdaily.com. Get yourself four weeks free. After that, it's, what, 19 cents a day that we figure out? Something. No, it was less no, than no, no, no. 9.5 cents. Nine and a half cents a day. It's nine, 19 cents. 24.95 a year. 19 cents every two days. Um, yeah, get it before the price goes up. That's right. Monday through Friday, <laughs> uh, Kelvin sends you just a daily kick in the pants. Um Say so get going for the day. I, I've been a subscriber now for a while. Yeah, you were five, back there five for, six sorry, years. You doing maybe. it now for? See, I've been doing it since uh, since 2010. Yes, yeah, so I'm October probably, 2010. So I'm probably I'm probably pretty close to an OG there. Yeah. Yeah, you were you were uh, you, that was close. So yeah, and you're still reading it. So I like that because you're picky. Yeah, yeah, I am. I, I and I do read it every day. You know, it's um, it's one of the few things I read every day. Sometimes I just 
hold off emails until I feel like reading them. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, I know, I know this is not recommended practice, but one of the first things I do every morning is check to see what came in overnight. Um, and mm-hmm. vitamin K is, uh, is my first read every day. And then I can worry about what the, uh, what the bank emailed and, um, and whatever else well, well, came thank in. Well, thank you, Mr. Dear, that's good to know. So that's vitaminkdaily.com for your four weeks free. No obligation to keep on, but I think you're probably going to want to. Hey. And uh, I guess if we play some music on the other side of that, you can hear Nick. Okay. Here you go. <laughs> So Nick, usually we like to start um, by asking people, uh, what do you do and why? Okay. I noticed you said your mission. I thought, God, that's a good question because it's slightly different from what I do every day. Slightly. But yeah, well, I mean, that, that's, that, that really speaks to the why, right? But yeah. So bring it. Who, uh, oh. who are you? <laughs> <laughs> who are you and, 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 and why um, are you that? <laughs> So, um, my name's Nick Jankel. I'm originally a Brit. I have lived in the US and the UK. um, And I spend inordinate amounts of time um, attempting to help individuals change themselves. Um, And the core reason for that, it's not the only reason, but the core reason is so that they can then transform the companies they work for and the societies that they live in um so they fit a world which is getting more and more challenging for most people and certainly from an environmental point of view and my i guess my core insight is that you can't do world change or social change without doing personal change um and i have staked staked my life on connecting those two and and why 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 is that important to you as an individual I guess there's two reasons. One is I've never met a human being that didn't need to do some work on themselves to really thrive. And I mean thrive in relationships, be able to truly be intimate with someone without all the stuff from the past coming back up and the issues we have with our parents and all that kind of stuff. So that's the first, first reason. Um, and that's very personal to me. I, I guess started trying to find a way to thrive in quite early. I was 15. I was like, I need to find happiness that I don't have right now. You're talking like four years ago, right? (laughs) (laughs) Three and a half, but you know, let's not uh, (laughs) split the details. Um, So uh, yeah, that was kind of like the the first point of call was, dude, I'm not happy. I need to get happy. So that's my sort of initial thing. But I guess it wasn't much later than that, that I thought, I also seem to see the world seems to be suffering a lot. People seem to be unhappy. There seems to be, a lot of haves, um, many have-nots. Um, then I got more interested in the environmental movement um, and the idea that we're in a, 
uh, a pretty unique time in history where we've got what I now would call existential risks, things that might actually put our species at risk as a species. Um, and so um, that's become more of the why. So I believe that if we transform ourselves, we thrive in our own lives and we have all the joyful benefits of um, family life we love, people we love, inner peace ourselves, a big thing. A lot of people don't have just able to put their head on the pillow at night and just be like, oh, great to be alive today, rather than sinking, (laughs) worrying. Um, And then that win then turns into we then have more and more power, more resource, more creativity to create the change we want to see in the world out there, Um, which, you know, is a good thing to do anyway. But I do believe we've got some pretty gnarly stuff to, to deal with as a species. Um, how you feel? How do you feel you're doing? Uh, not bad, not bad on that mission. Um, there are days where I feel like, uh, wow, I'm so micronic in everything I do is like a little teeny, not even a drop, but you're smaller than a drop in the ocean. Um, and there are days I think, you know what, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm getting some big conversations happening in in large organisations. Um, people are listening to some of my ideas. This is good. So, you know, I go, I go between the two. Usually now I feel like, I guess, each day I know I'm doing what I want to do, what I would call purpose, my purpose work. Um, and one of the things I often say is purpose isn't interested in numbers. So if you touch one person's life today, that is purpose. And if you touch 10 million, great also. Uh, purpose doesn't do numbers. So it's an important thing to always remember when we're trying to talk about being better people do better things is that um, not to get too worried about the metrics. And that's a very um, particular way of measuring success. I will tell you, I think that that phrase right there was worth the podcast. That's worth, <laughs> that, that's worth dialing in. <laughs> that is, that well, we is. Are gonna, we are going to say there's more good stuff to come. So don't, try, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't go yet. Oh, yeah, no, 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 not, <laughs> not, no, no, no. So um, this is a, actually, um, very relevant to something I'm thinking about. Um, you, you said, you know, sometimes you feel like it's a drop in the ocean. Other times you think you're doing all right. You know, we seem to be in a world where um, people want either a perfect system or forget it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. If, uh, yeah, some, some places banning plastic straws, you know, but yeah, is that the solution? No, but it's, part of it right mm-hmm. uh where did where did you start with yourself and where do you think other people can start well i guess this is a good good time to sort of introduce a, a really foundational idea in my work which is that we basically have two modes of thinking in any given moment and to there's lots of depth on this in various books and articles online but the two modes are basically what i would call control mode and the other one is create mode and so often control mode which people often are like to our ego in a, in a sort of um, egotistical sense of ego um, likes to worry about you know do people like my work is it big enough is it good enough and then it goes into well, if it's not being perfect I don't care about it and then perfectionism itself for yourself you know if I, my work isn't perfect and it's no good and what's the point and so that's all what I, control mode likes everything to be neat and packaged and um, um, some kind of benchmark that we need to get to. Uh, 
-hmm. Whereas create mode is much more comfortable with ambiguity, with unfolding, with evolution, with what the Japanese call wabi-sabi, the, the perfection of imperfection. You know, the, the bit of, so when I first um, was doing, it's actually very re real for me, when I first started doing my own pottery and cr creativity stuff, you know, I was like, if it isn't really awesome, I'm really angry with myself, you know. Um, I like to still have high quality standards. I'm not taking away those quality standards. But this wabi-sabi idea is that actually you do a really good plate and then it just sort of flops a tiny bit on the potter, potter's wheel. Mm -hmm. And that's the bit that makes it perfect. And I guess that in, in the work that I do in changing people, changing companies, changing systems, it's never perfect. There's always another drama and there's always another conflict and there's always another issue. There's another, another trauma to deal with in your own past. Um, that's the bit. That's the good bit is the fact that we're constantly unfolding, constantly learning. Um, and so when I do find myself going to, it's not good enough yet. I haven't reached enough people yet. My essays aren't getting enough claps on medium whatever it is um i just remember to relax out of that mode because i got into the mode that wants perfection and actually it's often not the right mode for me to be in a lot of the time right and you know better better new dramas coming up than the same old dramas right <laughs> but general rule is have a drama once uh process it learn from it engage with it and then let's have another drama then you get married and then you go oh why is that not working anymore <laughs> <Same dramas>. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent how, how long how long have you uh, uh, been doing this work now wow good question i mean one version of that is about 30 years um because I, wanted, I studied medicine originally. I wanted to be a psychiatrist. So uh, I was already very interested in working with people's minds and then hearts. But in a committed way, I took some deviations into advertising and other strange things. It all made sense in, in hindsight. didn't make sense at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things about narrative storytelling is you get to create your own dots and how to join them. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, and there's actually a lot of value in that thought, but we'll, we can come on to that. But about 15 years of committed, this is what I'm doing. This is my life's work. This is what all I'm ever going to do. But I would say that in those 15 years, I have tried out many different business models, delivery models, versions of me, if you like, um, to find the ones that really work. Um, and that's what I mean by the unfolding. It's never kind of done. You never sort of go, got, got my purpose got my vehicle, got my coaching practice, got my podcast, got my book, it's done, it's cooked. It's never cooked. Partly because we're changing and then partly because the world's changing. So the two things go together. So this constant dynam dynamism is, I guess, part of, um, part of the work is to be constantly evolving. Now, I mean, this has been a pretty formative last 15 years in the world. Um, <laughs> um, both, you know, from a world events stage, but also a, you know, a clearly a technology standpoint. Uh, where, where did you start and how did your practice kind of evolve in, in your delivery? Yeah. Including, well, you know, both, both your systems and um, how you've had to adapt to a changing world. Yeah. I mean, I'm still adapting. I'm still realizing that stuff I was even doing last year doesn't quite make sense this year, which is actually, uh, you know, very challenging. Actually, I just was going through some website pages on our website with a new team member and I was like, wow, 
you know, it's like six, nine months, nine months ago, I wrote this page. I'm like, wow, it's out of date. The language is out of date. The, the, the way I'm talking about agility or purpose or whatever is out of date. So, so there's a constant sort of evolution of that. I mean, I definitely, I got into entrepreneurship um, really with the digital explosion of the dot-com days. Mm-hmm. I had not been a tech guy before that. I was not that interested. Um, and I hadn't been particularly interested in the environmental sort of world. I was interested in social justice, so sort of poverty and, and human rights stuff I was more interested in earlier on. Um, but I was super inspired by the digital promise, particularly the idea that um, networks can remove power from 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 the old guardians of 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 power the the aristocrats of the age whether that's capitalists or um, government heads or whatever and that was always very much inspired me and i and i still believe that digital technology has the power as you can see in this very moment that we are here together that we're not expect we didn't ask you know nbc to approve this podcast right um and that for me is massively liberating um and i'm still living into that like what what if i stopped asking for other people to give me permission what would that mean i would do what books would i produce what shows what tv what you know that's that's a a big thing that constantly i think digital technology constantly asks us do you have the courage do you have the commitment because there's nothing there's nothing else stopping you that's that's a, a really amazing um liberty of digital technology um, but at the same time, there's, as we know, with digital technology, there's also a lot of threats from it. There's a lot of challenges that we have to engage with. Um, so one of them I talk about a lot at the moment is what does artificial intelligence mean for us? Um, where do, where, what, what is that something we run from? Obviously can't. So what's the invitation? Um, what's the invitation in AI? And I personally believe, for me, it's to use technology, but also to know what human wisdom is. Um, and I wrote an article actually last year uh, called there ain't no such thing as artificial wisdom you know computers will never be wise they might be very smart but they won't be wise and so that's a great opportunity for us all to to engage and then i guess the last seven or eight years i've become very aware of of some of the issues we face environmentally and and um i read last week that they now estimate that within 100 years all pollinators so every all the bees are gone so and basically at that point the entire system breaks down because there's no food uh, unless we have little drone bees which they're working on so that's a potential solution but not a particularly optimal one i don't think um so that's definitely informed a lot of my a lot of my thinking and so i now go into the world attempting to balance the threats of the scary world that's coming but also the opportunities and what it brings us and the the joys from uh, technology and, and changing societies as well is a big thing for me the, the shift between um baby boomers and older older ways of thinking what i would call industrial age thinking and then what what does that bring digital age thinking um and so as, a, as a gen x i'm i kind of have a bridge between this older world and this newer world and i can i can speak younger and i can speak older and and that's a quite an interesting role of that generation is is to bridge the the old and the new now I I saw I saw Kelvin's face kind of scrunch up on the video here when you said drone bees and I, I've seen the <laughs> I've seen a couple of those articles um, so so I'll make sure we get that we get some video on the show notes because because they're doing some pretty cool stuff with that um, before we run into into that problem um, you know we're going to run into what's going to be a problem for a lot of people particularly in capitalist societies uh, like ours. Uh, 
Um, and that's with AI, we're going to hit uh, a point where a lot more jobs than have already been taken by robots are going to be taken by robots. Um, you know, and, and robots, not just, you know, I mean, we've seen them largely in mechanical senses right now. Um, you know, but they're, they're moving into worlds where human interaction was needed. I mean, you were, you know, you said you were in advertising and, you know, AI is getting really good at targeting ads now the way that, um, yeah, people needed to be involved in that at the, just a few years ago. Um, you, that's going to be a, a fairly immediate problem probably over the next decade for a lot of people, and by a lot, you know, probably seven figures worth of people. Yeah. Um, how are how are you looking at that, uh, particularly since you go into corporate spaces uh, with your message? So, I mean, one of the things I first of all look at all these things is to take off the lens of good or bad. Right. Because it doesn't really help us particularly. Um, and just look at what is. And the what is is, as you say, the research is showing that AI slash robots can do pretty much any routine analytical task uh, better than most of us. And now even non-routine analytical tasks. So routine as in um, there's an algorithm that you can create, which is if the person watches this advert online, we give them this uh, special offer. Um, that's a routine analytical task. And as you say, I can do that really well. But we're also getting to a point where AI can do non-routine stuff. So more difficult things that, that a manager might do or um, econ- even an economist might do. There's actually uh, one uh, AI which is, have been already proven to be 30% better than lawyers, trained lawyers at certain things. Wow. So the writing is on the wall, literally over there. And what that, and again, so you can then either react against that or you can respond to it. And that's what a part of what I teach is how do you work with things, how you dance with the music that's playing rather than sit there going, I wish it was hip hop. And now you're playing a waltz and I'm going to be really angry about that. The waltz, you know, the waltz is here. How do I move my body? How do I make my moves fit the waltz? And I might have a grounding in, in, in breakdancing, but I can, I can work with it. So everything's workable. That's a really important principle of, of my thinking. Um, so if AI is pushing into analytical tasks, then that, the invitation is to look at our own work flows, you know, nine, to five, nine o'clock Monday morning, whenever it is, uh, six o'clock Friday night, or if you're night time, whatever it is, anything that we do analytical You've got to think a robot's going to do it or an AI is going to do it better in 10 years. Okay. So what do I do? Where do I create value, which is not analytical, which is not algorithmic? So some of the big areas are human compassion, caring, sharing, um, probation work, social work, therapy work, empowerment with kids, um, healing, um, teaching. Um, These are all non-analytical. Um, and that seems to be one big area where, where we go. And luckily, we also have an aging population who need more caring and sharing and looking after anyway. So that's, that's an opportunity, a match. Um, and the other area is it's going to force all of us who are good at specific things to get more into, I guess, what you might call a coaching or teaching role. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a designer, then um, you want to be thinking about more about how to, to teach your lens your visuals your view of aesthetics your understanding to people and how to support them rather than necessarily doing the thing because you might find an ai can create a brand logo better than you can oh my god you know 
or can it who knows what the inputs one of the outputs so that's kind of an area too and then obviously stuff like this you know you know a podcast is a is a in some ways a form of teaching it's a uh, it's a entertainment teaching i don't think ai can do this stuff um, not particularly well um not particularly com- compellingly so narratives storytelling um inspiration that kind of thing and that's really i think so you know 100 years ago people were talking about this idea of technological unemployment that machines would get rid of people and it didn't happen we actually worked worked longer hours than we did in the 30s or with the machines yeah (laughs) yeah but now we've got to a point where actually that might actually happen we might get rid of a lot of the bull ache of work the difficult boring stuff yeah Uh, yeah it's i was gonna say it's the it's the it's the little stuff that's going away like yeah you know for a lot of people you know that might be trade stuff but like i go to the grocery store and you've got you know, six people in a line with one cashier, and then you've got one person standing at six self checkouts with ten mm-hmm. people going through, mm-hmm. and you know those self checkouts are cranking through, and the one cashier over there is struggling. Right? I mean, it used to be that you'd have fifteen, twenty people up front of a grocery store not that long ago, and now you've got three. Right. And you're pushing through the same number of people. I mean, yeah. I, for example, the minute there's an AI that can scan all my receipts my invoices uh work out where i was which client it was uh puts them all into a thing sends it to the government i'm like where do i sign you know because <laughs> yeah you know, that's like for me i don't want to do any of that stuff i don't really want to pay an accountant to do it because i know it's not really that in, in, difficult to do either right. and then you have to do have to have to work for the accountant anyway you have you have to get yes. all that stuff together to exactly. get over there in the right system for your exactly. accountant and the accountant gets to do more of what they probably would prefer to do some of them which is advise you on strategy and and, and right and tax so that's what i mean by that coaching advisory role becomes more important because the actual sort of the pro- transactional piece goes to machines the challenge you've got and this is one of the things that I, um, I've just been literally talking about today, um, is actually there are a lot of people who don't want to step up and become more empowered um, and do more of the coaching, creative, teaching stuff. That's going to be a challenge because that's the work that's going to go first is this sort of, I don't want to have to think at work. So people, a bit of background, a lot of people at the moment talking about what people call distributed leadership or distributed management, self-management, flat structures where there's no boss because we're all empowered to make decisions where we are at the edges of the world of talking to a customer. Oh, I can change what we can offer you as a mortgage because I've been empowered because there's no boss back in Cincinnati. Um, and as anyone who's worked in organizations will tell you, that's great for like 20% of the people are like brilliant. I've been waiting all my life to be told I can just go and do what I want to do and I can innovate and be agile and adaptable and empowered. But there's a lot of people who are actually like, Oh my God, that sounds terrible because I don't want to spend my energy in thinking about how to make, you know, these cereal cereals boxes better looking for my clients. I want to spend my time with my kids. So I just show up and do this stuff from nine to five. That is going to be a challenge because that job is going to go to a robot because that non-thinking job, which you like, because it's not thinking, well, the robot doesn't think, doesn't need to think either. So it can just wander around doing the same thing ultimately for cheaper. That's a challenge. So, so that's a bigger political challenge around, how do we genuinely empower people from a very early age to find things that they love doing and want to work hard to be good, become good at those things? I don't, I don't know that that's a future problem. I think that's, I think that's a problem. It's a now problem, definitely. Right now. Um, 
because I know a lot of people. I <laughs> I worked for a long time. I did 20 years in the military. I did, uh, you know, I did a stint at a, a local hospital here when I retired and stuff. And it was when I got rid of that job, that that nine to five thing, I said, this needs not ever come true. But I said, anymore, I, I would rather collect Coke bottles out of a dumpster than to go back to a, eight to five, to a nine to five job where I'm just sitting there. Uh, sitting there doing whatever it is I'm doing. And cause I like talking to people. I like create, I mean, I had situations where, you know, I, I was known as a, we'll call it a motivator. I used to go around and make people feel better. But wait, why are you, on, why are you on this floor? Why, why are you here? Uh, don't you have a job where you are? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that, you know? So, so I got out of that, but there's a lot of people who don't want to think. Right. And and in a lot of cases, you know, perhaps we've been taught, perhaps we've been taught not to think. And I know Seth Godin talks a lot about, you know, the school system coming out of World War Two and teaching people to be good employees and stuff like that. And now what we need is people who can think and who can make decisions and not just do what they're told, because there are so many situations that need good thought. Um, mm. and, and And we've also lost our our people skills. Um, I recommend routinely, you know, how to win friends and influence people these days because people don't know how to interact with people anymore. Right. I mean, a large chunk of the work I do in leadership development is not some of the, I mean, I, I love teaching the innovation, the systems, thinking, the blah, 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 all this sort of high end stuff, high level stuff. <coughs> what we, most people really need is how to create safety, how to connect, build rapport, how to listen, um, how to be vulnerable, how to help other people be vulnerable. And that is beautiful stuff. I mean, it's amazing. Um, but as you say, it's ironed out from a very early age. And one of the things I say about my work is if, if the school system did its job, I wouldn't have a job because there would be no need to have personal development workshops. There'd be no need to have leadership development workshops because we would have learned all the tools and techniques at age five onwards because that's what we should be teaching. Um, because a lot of that content knowledge, you might, my six-year-old can already go on Google uh, AI and go, can you show me a video about how to do X? So why do we even spend a minute on it in a lesson, um, let alone 15 years of it? So much so that my wife and I are actually looking at building a school based upon these principles of what people really need to know, like how to talk to each other, how to be with each other, how to mm. connect with each other, um, nourish that in kids, because all that knowledge and AI will already know it better than you will ever know it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I, so I've done work in, in favelas in Rio. I've done work um, in Nigeria, um, in Lagos, in, in slums. I've done work in inner city, London boroughs, right up to the boardrooms of, of big banks, mm -hmm. full spectrum of human experience. And I know for, I was stating my claim that if you give, someone some of your time you can help them find something they really could be purposeful about and 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 become and want to be empowered around and want to contribute to the world with um whether it's music or dance the arts science it doesn't matter it's entrepreneurship and that's what we need to help people find quickly because um as you said if the, the education system has actually stamped that bit out of a lot of people that mm -hmm. curiosity that desire to do something because you personally feel it's interesting to you 
Um, and you know that kind of stuff about the 10,000 hours to become good at anything, yeah. you know, probably could be 30,000 from my experience. You can't sustain that level of commitment unless there's something in it that you're really profoundly curious about or, or purpose, you know, you want to contribute or you love, I mean, I use the word love a lot more than most people do in this work because ultimately it comes down to what do you love? What do you love about yourself and the world? And if you don't have, haven't ever been asked that before, a lot of kids haven't been, um, that's going to cause challenges when an AI says, well, we don't have this job anymore. Now what do you do? Because you don't even know what you love mm-hmm. and where to start with being curious. But you did know that four or five, every child is radically right. curious. You know, so much so that they listen to anything you say because they just want to uh, <laughs> explore more. <laughs> also, also to repeat your words in public and embarrass you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. You know, there's a there's a dual there's a dual motive there for those kids, I think. So, so okay, what is your this is gonna sound redundant, but you walk it in any situation. So when you when you get up first thing in the morning, what is it that you want to be doing? What do you wanna call somebody? Do you wanna talk to a board? Do you wanna have a personal session with an individual and help them empower themselves? What is your passion? Mm. Wow. I mean, all of it. I have a general rule, which is if I'm not writing or speaking, kind of sharing, teaching, keynotes, workshops, this stuff, then I'm probably not doing the right thing. that much. That's my mode. My mode of action seems to be speaking and writing as, as the things that I can bring most value. Mm-hmm. Where that happens, I guess the two places where I get most joy are almost extreme ends of the world. One is in big grown-up boardrooms or government departments where I get to really shake things up at the center of the system that is, is broken. And at the other end, I get kicks from working with young people often in the exact opposite corners of the world where they're struggling to get through the day. And, and those, I guess those two extremes is where I, I get my most juice um, and everywhere in between. But those are, the, those are the two areas that I do really um, thrive in. And it's odd for one person to do both those extremes. You usually get people doing one or the other. Yeah, it is. Mm. So now, my curiosity is you have, how did you get to be the person that can walk into these boardrooms and these people listen to what Nick Jenkins got to say. <laughs> um, chutzpah, I think is the, the, the first thing that comes to mind. The hubris, sorry, hubris, just believing that I can, and I'm just going to go and do that. So that's, uh-huh. that's probably the, the most realistic answer. I guess my education and my early career choices gave me the credibility to get in the room. And that, I guess, is important too. So part of it's just being a bullshitter and a generally uh, uh, white. If, if they're not going to have me, I'm going to make sure they, they get me. Okay. Um, and I get, I get quite turned on in a kind of micro way. It's not, like, it's not my driving motivator, but I do like the idea of what crazy situation can I find myself in. So when I, when I did a talk at the UK Prime Minister's uh, number 10 Downing Street, uh-huh. like, wow, which people who talk about spiritual, write spiritual books have had this opportunity. I, I love those kind of weird synchronicities of moments. Last week I was in with the head 
the Major General uh, something of the head of the military uh, in the UK, talking about leadership and stuff. Wow. So part, so part of my, I do enjoy these kind of crazy situations. Um, and, um, you know, I don't wear suits. I don't do, I don't dress up in the way most people think people should in that, that thing. I keep my own personality and my own thing. Um, and it doesn't always fit what they're looking for. They want someone older and, um, grayer and, and, uh, in a suit. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I think the other thing also is in my early career, I was in creative, the creative industries mm-hmm. and there, there's a positive there's a positive, like if you're young and and quirky, and a bit out there, that's people. The people actually pay for that. Mm. You know, they want innovative thinking. They want creative thinking. So I used to wear this uh, 1970s, like I don't even know what color blue you could describe it. Bright blue, massive lapels. I was 22, and I was walking. Oh in my, there. the leisure suit age. <laughs> we we made like that. Get rid of that suit. I remember it, that. It was like. A, <laughs> Exactly. I'd like to have one. It was going to catch fire. Um, <laughs> and, um, so I guess people pay for that quirkiness in the creative industries. And then when I shifted more into sort of people development and leadership, I, I wanted to keep that with me. And it doesn't always work for people. Um, but there's definitely, and also, so I went to Cambridge University and I studied science. So that has definitely helped me on this journey that I do have a kind of button down science degree from a top university that has been a, a useful, I don't use any of the content from it, but the, the sort of credibility it gave me has, has helped me open doors that I wouldn't have. But I have to say, back to the original, it's just hubris. It's just knocking on doors and going, hello, I think I've got something valuable for you. Do you want to talk about it? And I have to say, nine out of 10 doors slam shut. Mm-hmm. So it's a persistence thing. You know, if you, you know, it, I get, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have, have had emails ignored and phone calls ignored and, and weird meetings that people have just sort of, I can see them go, God, I get rid of this guy, you know. <laughs> but for all those, and one out of those 10 is like, God, we need this exact energy in our business right now. And that's the, so it's just a, a lot of it's numbers, persistence, and, and, um, and keep, keep, keep coming back from the, from the nose. You know, but someone said, I think it was a movie, no, it means not yet. And that's a, uh, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a motivational guy. So, and, um, <laughs> you know, Josh and I make an interesting team because Josh is, is granular in, in the practicalities of stuff. And he, he's really got a fascinating mind and I'm still, I'm still not sure why he talks to me, <laughs> but I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, uh, you know, the, the, the happy guy, the, you know, push it aside guy, the, you know, you can, you can do this guy. So, um, I think you are a great mix of me and Josh, um, and you, but you've got more his hairstyle. But um, getting to the point where you can address those audiences now, I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you stay up? How do you stay in that uh, empowered, mm. energized state despite the, the rejections? And, and – you know, it's a question I have to ask because everybody needs to hear this because we, it doesn't take much to stop most of us. Right. So I guess my deepest answer, I'll give you the deepest answer mm-hmm. and then I'll come back and give you some more practical stuff, I think. Right. And this is where, so I ended up, so I, I grew up as a, as a radical atheist, you know, really like anti-religion, anti, 
anything that wasn't measurable and scientific. Um, and over the years, I realized there was still something missing and I went trying to find it. And I now realize the only thing that keeps me going in those rejection moments, and they're still so painful to me, I'm not going to ever tell people they're not painful. Um, you know, your brain literally lights up in the pain areas when you get rejected. In the same areas if you stab yourself, it's the same pain. So, like, mm. you know, that sticks and stones may break my bones. That's not true. Sticks and stones break your bones, words break your bones, you know, everything hurts. So my connection to what I call purpose, which for me is a, it's a profoundly spiritual thing, it's a, it's a sense of love for the world, love for other, which includes love for myself, otherwise you can't have love for other, true love for other. That's the only thing I go back to. When I'm feeling bruised, which I do regularly, when I'm feeling like I've sent 50 emails and no one's responded. Um, right now, we're kind of recession has hit a little bit. It's a bit cool and chilly out there. The only thing I've got is to go back to what's my deepest, deepest reason to do what I do and remind myself and sort of bask in it and bathe in that love um, and let go of the numbers, let go of the all the sort of ways we hang ourselves with with expectations for ourselves and just remind ourselves that everything's myself that everything's perfect and i can come back from this and i can stay and trust that there's some reason that this is happening that's the bigger bigger answer and i couldn't find anything in the world that could answer that that wasn't in what we might call use the word spiritual to decide to describe it mm -hmm. it doesn't exist in maths and it doesn't exist in science it's something beyond that um, so that's the bigger answer. There are other practical things that I do. So for example, yesterday I was in a workshop, uh, delivering for nine hours, full energy to a bunch of 30 middle managers who didn't really have much hope and possibilities. So I had to bring it and open that up for them. And then I'm exhausted. So one of the things I've learned is how to resource myself, how to take time when I need to take time, how to, before I jumped on this podcast, I went with my uh, younger son and sat by a pond and looked out and just let nature rejuvenate me a bit. So that's become a very important thing, this re resourcing myself and looking after myself. What has become self-care in, in the newspapers these days. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a danger, right? Too much self-care and all we're doing is taking massages and having uh, patchouli baths and we're not doing anything in the world. <laughs> so I'm not advocating, you know, what life is a constant retreat. But I've just, I just know that no one can keep it going the way I do all the time. Uh, it's just not sustainable at all. Okay. And as I've got older, it's become even more obvious to me that it's not sustainable. So even now, I can't even really do like a workshop without, I need to go and take, so for example, during lunch, during a workshop, all the t people want to talk to me, oh, da, 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 let's have lunch with Nick, the teacher. And I'm like, I'm out, I'm going on my own, to my, I sit on my own in a part of the restaurant because I need that half an hour, 40 minutes mm -hmm. of not talking and not being the guy just to bring back some more energy back for myself. Um, so that's kind of, yep. there's boundaries in there. That's about not being, not, not needing to be liked all the time and just giving myself some boundaries and saying, I need to take care of myself. Because if you want me on stage in half an hour delivering to a hundred people, the big beam of light of what's possible, <laughs> you need to give me that half an hour. <laughs> um, so, so that's been the thing. So I guess there's some practical parts there, but, but, but I, you know, I call purpose, um, which is challenging for some people to hear, I call purpose love in action. It's love turned into actual doing something, doing stuff. And that is the gift. That, it's, it's unlimited. There is no end to that love. It, it's a limitless love, and it's in within us all. 
And um, that's the source of all everything I do. And in fact, as soon as I come out of that sort of flow, flow state or a sense of flow, that's when I start getting sort of angry, frustrated, things aren't working, grrr, all that stuff, because I come out of um, the love and I get into the expectations and what isn't working and what is working and complaining and right. bitching and moaning stuff, which isn't helpful. Disempowered. Good job. Now, I wanted to roll back a little bit, and I know we're going to get more into the, the self-care aspect because that's something that we that we do, but, you know, boardrooms and, and governments are not exactly known as flexible bastions of change. Um, <laughs> when you go in there and talk to a bunch of people who really don't want to hear it, uh, how do you get over that response and and what what are some of the what are what is some of the pushback you get oh i mean loads so first of all i try not to be in those situations so i remember doing a keynote speech uh for a um a healthcare company and i've never had such a negative reception in my life like literally you know i'm not a bad keynote speaker these days and i had watched out 60 people like looking at me as if there's a funeral they were in a funeral there wasn't one person with the lights on in their eyes going this is cool i'm getting this This is really what i want to hear no well, all those people are like you know uh, you back in the early 2000s when <laughs> when lots of people were getting laid off and bosses kept handing out who moved my cheese to make them feel better right. exactly <laughs> i was that guy and i yeah. came out, i remember calling me off the phone and calling my wife at the airport going i just did the i bombed in the most bombing potential way ever so what i learned from that is i now don't even if it's great money i don't agree to do a keynote speech so i've spoken to the client directly not just the yeah. bureau and the booker and whatever and go, listen this is what i talk about this is how i talk this is my energy this is my voice if you're not into that chat then don't book me because i don't want to be in those rooms they don't do anything for me that said you do have to have to go and warm people up right you have to go and uh be a fluffer for change. Um, and uh, that is a skill. And um, there's, there is definitely, uh, and this is something I'm learning a lot about how to do this. This is not an easy job. This is a form of story. It's storytelling. It's influencing. It's, it's persuasion. It's soft power. Um, so I'm definitely, I'm learning all the time about how to reach people, how to connect with them where they're at, honor where they're at not criticize it and go, you've got it all wrong. You, everything they do, there's there for a reason. Definitely. All the protect, protection mechanisms, the hierarchy, the commander control, the arsiness, the bossiness, the, it's all there for a reason. It's not bad. It's just no longer adaptive for what the world needs. Um, so I'm learning how to connect with people where they're at and then go, but there is something over here that you could get towards. The great news, I guess, for my business model and my offer to the world is that because we've got these three big, uh, what I call the triple threat, coming in to every organization, literally every organization, government, business, old business, new business, there's no option anymore but to change. And so the driving force of the desire to change is now getting more um, because the world's so fundamentally different from what it was in the 1950s or 1930s when many of these companies were created uh, or government departments. And so that is amazing for me because the pain within organizations is getting more and more. Can't hire the best people, can't keep millennials, 
um, sinking margins because what we do is commoditize and someone in India can do it cheaper. So much is going, you know, AI, robot, so many threats to business as usual that they need, they, they're all now going, God, we, I don't, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't want to do innovation or transformation. But now we have to. Um, that doesn't mean it make it any harder, easier necessarily to actually get them on the journey because there's so much resistance and so much frustration and so much block, just old habits of just block it, block everything, block all those ideas, block all that movement. But at least there's a, a bigger, what people call burning platform. In most organizations, there's a big old platform burning, which is the changing world is so fast and we're so behind. And that's a great thing because it's like working with an alcoholic reaching near reaching towards um rock bottom because uh it's much easier to work with people when they actually have tried everything and they're desperate and where they, where people are not in that place and you're giving them tough medicine you know tough wisdom they're like well it's all you know it's all right i'll carry on going as i am for a bit more and that's actually one of the reasons why i so when i i we created a whole brand to target younger people with mindfulness and well-being and sort of uh, sort of hip hip wisdom stuff and actually it's not a great area to get target because people are still going well things will get better you know and then you hit your 35 40 and like wow i still have the same negative stuff i had when i was 21 it hasn't got better in fact it's actually got worse and now i've got other addictions i didn't even have before so it's actually there's, a, there's something to be said for working with people who are actually experiencing pain of some sort Got it. Give me your phone number. I'll call you later. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, just kidding, sort of. <laughs> uh, anyway, Josh, you look like you got a question over there. Well, I mean, I, I kind of jumped back in time there in our conversation, but then, you know, we were kind of getting on, on the path. We were talking a little bit about the self-care you do, going to step in a way for a minute, getting a little focused, um, getting a little own time. And, um, yeah, Kelvin and I are both, you know, you know, we both have that you know, introvert need to charge alone. Mm. Um, you know, Kel Kelvin's speaking in public a lot more than I am. Um, he's a lot more of a social character, but, but we've talked about this a bunch that, um, you still need to go over here to shut off a little bit. Um, before you can come back and, you know, you know, be, be with everybody. I need a lot more of the, you know, I need days in between usually. Um, and and but, really, it took me a while to figure out that I needed that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I used to think, um, you, know, you know, we've had these arguments about introvert versus extrovert. And because I'm, I'm such a public person, they always talk about, Oh, well you're an extrovert. Mm. But mm -hmm. when it's like, I've had, times I'm going to address a group or whatever. And I walk up and there's somebody there and I'm like, Oh my God, I just need 30 minutes. I can just sit and mm -hmm. breathe. And, but now I'm on stage again. I got to be up for that person. And it's like, so I have come to, to understand since I can sit in my house and listen to the clock tick for days that I am that more for that energy recharging side. I'm definitely that, that introverted side, but it took me, I mean, psh, a hundred years to figure that out. Um, so onward with the, with the question is what, what do you suggest that people do? Because, you know, part of the, 
part of the change journey, especially for the public side of us, the the side that you know is going to have an evolving job. Um, you know, where you have to go in and face the same people that you've always faced, um, but you know, as your role changes, um, you know, as the company's role changes, uh, what are some of the things that that you kind of suggest that people do? I know, I know it's hard to direct, it's hard to direct a hundred people to, to the right thing, right? Because everybody's different and self-care really is an individual thing. You know, I, I love the float tank. Yeah, I, I love a seven-story deprivation chamber. Not for everybody. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm sure that's kind of part of, you know, what people have to understand is that, you know, this isn't, you know, just because they spend, you know, 25% of their week at work and, you know, they're probably, you know, with their work people more than they're with their, you know, friends and family, um, it doesn't mean they don't need their their own space and their own you know, their own thing you know their own kind of plug in the wall and and recharge how do you, how do you um Definitely. how do you tell people to what to look for um for what they need well just to sort of reflect back on that introversion extroversion thing i believe it's slightly it's been popularized as a you one or the other and we all have a bit of both mm-hmm. and like you, I thought everyone would think I was an extrovert, right? I spent most of my time on stage or doing some extroverted type thing. Again, it took me a long time to go, oh my God, I need to be quiet quite a lot. Um, like if I go to a party and there's small talk, you know, chit chat. I don't do small talk, by the way. Uh, I do big talk, but an hour and a half of big talk. I am cooked. I had to go on the dance floor. I can't talk to anyone. I'm like, don't, I'm like, try and beam out. Like, don't talk to me now. I'm in the dance type thing and so I even got a reputation in my early years as a clubber and raver that Nick just go sidles off on his own like a crab and then you don't see him for four more hours I'm like, yeah, that's me obliterating myself in the music I don't want to talk you know we'll talk another day so I think we all need that introversion we all need to recharge and even if you think you're the most extroverted I guarantee that you'll learn about how to be introverted and how to enjoy that introversion so I, I talk about three bits of time that everyone should build into their week which in some way answers this question. What you do in that time is, of course, up to you. Um, there's there's um, sort of resourcing time, rejuvenation time. Uh, that includes exercise. Um, that might include, for me, watching sort of box sets on Netflix and absorbing myself into narratives of strange worlds. Uh, what my we no longer call them guilty pleasures. We call them cheeky pleasures in our house because we don't want to feel guilty about them. But, you know, something that just really is about you rejuvenating in whatever way works for you. And I would, exor- would I include exercise in that. It's really important. The second bit of time I think everyone needs to be able to have each week is reflection time where you're really reflecting on where you've been at, what did and didn't work, where you were triggered, where you were hot, where you were irritated, where you were angry, where you were sad, and trying to do some work inner work you know some processing work on that the thing about that is if you don't do it most people don't it will just build up until one suddenly you've panic attacks or you're anxious or you're depressed or you wake up at four in the morning and you can't sleep so that stuff just needs to be it's like tending the tending the garden it's not sexy (laughs) necessarily it's not you know but it just needs to be done um and then the third kind of time I call it noodling time I don't know I haven't got a good r to go with it um but like just sort of musing with some ideas, um, 
pottering around the house a little bit. That's one of the things that actually went when I had kids, I didn't have no more pottering time. You know, like mooching around, reorganizing your boxes drawer, that sort of stuff. Um, really important. I actually really think it's an important thing to have time where you can, you're not reflecting deeply, you're not rejuvenating, you're just sort of noodling some ideas, noodling some thoughts. 20 minutes a week, I think, is probably a good start. Well, that's um, probably why most people, you know, do a lot of good thinking in the shower. Absolutely. Yeah, and like when you're, when you're focused on something else that doesn't require a lot of brain work, absolutely. your brain can kind of wander and do that stuff. Yeah. And, and there's good science that backs up that when you stop focusing and stop working your ass off and stop looking at the spreadsheet trying to solve it, that's when the, you shift out of that control mode and you shift into, that, shift into the create mode and then pop, oh my God. Uh, but when you do, but how many times do we do that about our relationship or about our parenting or about our sense of relationship to ourselves? probably not enough so that's what i mean by that reflection mm -hmm. you know um even if it's just 10 minutes a week it will make a difference so you're not suggesting for instance that people spend you know you know they got their eight hours of work they got their eight hours of sleep you're not you're not expecting people to try to build you know an hour and a half here for that two hours there for that and still try to connect with your family and and you know, remember to get to the grocery store and all that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, life's too busy, man. A little I'm, bit of time here and there, right? Yeah. It's just small things. It's just a little bit of tending the garden. You just don't, you don't need to be there all every day. In fact, that's, people get become junkies, personal development junkies, and they spend all their time doing personal development. And that's good for some periods of our lives when we really want to get into our stuff. And I had a burnout, so I had to get into my stuff because I couldn't go on anymore. I was like empty. Um, but yeah, little bits because life's very complex. I've got you know small kids. I've got groceries, cooking, all the stuff. It's just giving ourselves a little bit of time. So before I go um, to go and cook for the kids, three minutes on my own outside, just looking at the stars. That can get me. That can help me through a three-hour, you know, full jazz hands dad dad routine. <laughs> right on. See, and where Josh is, he can actually go look at stars. <laughs> Here in upstate New York, they're, they're, they don't show up too much sometimes. <laughs> Matter of fact, I see the sky today, and it's been the first day in, in several days where I actually, oh, look, there's something blue up there. <laughs> so I got to look at pictures of stars, right? <laughs> nice. Exactly. So as, um, as this kind of world evolves, and people do wind up having to accept that, you know, AI and um, is going to take a lot of the jobs. And when they accept kind of where they're at, you know, people who are displaced and they've the stuff that you're talking about now, uh, where do you think your teaching is going to evolve toward? Hmm. Good question. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, the stuff I teach is really in some ways timeless. I mean, it's kind of adapted to now. Mm -hmm. um, and in some ways it's like, this is just whatever's going on in the outside world. If it was in the seventies, it would be, you know, the cold war. Um, we are constantly being challenged um, by things that you couldn't predict often. Um, they're often quite scary in their initial presentation to us right um i definitely think that's that's i definitely think that's accelerated um there's been some really interesting books published in the last few years about 
the happiness of hunter-gatherers. And actually, all the research seems to show they were actually much happier than us before we got civilized when everything apparently was so good. Um, that's where actually we started getting not so happy. You know, if you hunter-gatherer, you, all you have to do is, is, you know, three times a week do some gathering, maybe once a week do some hunting. The rest is all free time. Um, and so um, we definitely are, have an accelerated number of threats, if anything, to our, to our status quo. Um, because we've got AI, but we've also got um, 3D printing, we've got um, Internet of Things, we've got um, uh, a whole bunch of technologies we don't even understand, blockchain. I mean, these are all going to change things in different ways. So that's coming in. Um, but we've also got this damaged world. You know, we, we've got climate change, we've got pollinator collapse, we've got pollution killing people. We don't even realize how many people pollution is killing. Um, depression levels are at their all-time highest. I discovered a few weeks ago that one in four teenage girls um, has already self-harmed at the age of 14. And that's just now. That's high. Yeah, yeah, that's high, right? That's just the ones that we, we know and measure and report. So, you know. Um, and so it just becomes even more important, which is, um, you know, can we switch on to that or do we switch off? And that, So my company is called Switch On because that's what I believe we have to do when you get a threat, you either switch off and you try and run away or blame someone or get angry or, um, you know, try and go back in time. Um, or you switch on and go, okay, what's the invitation? Where do I go with this? Where can I take it? Where can I dance with it? Where can I adapt it? Um, which is uh, just going to get bigger. And that's why I'm trying to teach stuff now because when it's really bad, which is not quite that bad at the moment, right? It's not when things are really in crisis, often we don't have those resources anymore left in us because we're so anxious and stressed and overwhelmed. We don't have the resources to do the transformation then, and it's too late. And so there's a window of opportunity now we all have, which is uh, uh, to transform ourselves now, preventative medicine rather than after-the-fact medicine. Um, and in fact, there's a great saying by the old um, CEO of GE, General Electric, uh, Jack Welch, who says, change before you have to. And that's really the summary of my work is preventative transformation. Trans learn how to transform yourself now so that when the, uh, the doodah does hit the fan, um, you know how to dance with that and make something of it for yourself and, and not run into you know, the woods shouting, I'm going to become a survivalist and escape. Because you know, there is no escape. The system is too complex. Pretty soon there won't be any woods. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. You know, I like to look back, at, you know, about 120 years in the, the 1890s, uh, biggest problem in a lot of cities was um, was horse scat. Yeah, horse, um, horse business. Um, yeah, so there was a big rush among, there's a big rush among inventors to, to create something that would, that would, pick it up, clean it up faster and, and more efficiently. And then the car came along and made it moot um, like fairly quickly. Uh, so, you know, in solving and looking to solve some of the problems today, you know, I, I feel like a lot more companies are, are doing the, the car version of, of the horse cat remover. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, can we, can we, innovate ourselves back into business mm. in, in terms of can we 
can we can we create can we create something so new mm. that IoT 3D printing AI isn't going to catch up with for another couple hundred years and we won't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. Wow. I don't know. You have to ask Elon Musk. <laughs> I don't think actually he might not be the right person to ask anymore. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's off piste, it looks like. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I do think technology will solve some of the things that we are facing, definitely. I mean, we, we are brilliantly innovative species. And um, there's some really good stuff coming online. Um, and, you know, using algae for energy or um, compacted wood instead of concrete. I mean, there's some brilliant stuff going on. Um, and I still think there's going to be some shift in our behavior that's needed that technology can't innovate ourselves out of. Um, because I'm mean, even just looking at it right now, there's no technology for depression. There's no technology for anxiety. There's no technology for hatred and pain and suffering and disconnection and lack of intimacy and all that stuff. That's, that's human stuff. That's human innovation that has to happen, changing ourselves. Um, so I love technology. Definitely think it's got an, a part of the solution, but I think we're part of the solution too. And, and, and we need to remember that and not export all our problems to uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, I, I think you know sometimes you hit that <laughs> you hit the thing that 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 stops the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think or either that or you're thinking so hard. It's like what? Um, so before, um, yeah, Kevin, Kevin, did you have anything else? Uh, you, you were kind of um, absorbing that last bit there. I, I was, and it, and it got me thinking about um, entrepreneurs versus jobs again. Mm -hmm. um, and I was trying to figure out what the numbers were recently because uh, the number of entrepreneurs in a row versus job holders. And, uh, and it seems to me, I mean, when people become entrepreneurs – they're actually nourishing and nurturing themselves and, and what they would put here for versus, you know, cranking, cranking jobs and stuff. So as far as becoming an entrepreneur, I was wondering if uh, Nick might have some insight into. Okay. All right. So. But we'll maybe yeah. we'll cover that on the next on the next. Uh, yeah. So, um, I want to ask two questions um, just to kind of wrap up here, um, and we'll yeah maybe, maybe we can do a part two as a <laughs> and, and address entrepreneurship at some point because yeah that's some place where people are definitely going to have to change. Um, it, the um, first is did you, did. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we missed? I feel like we got pretty far. Oh yeah, I had no, I, I'm no expectations, no needs, <laughs> no demands. Just I like to flow in with your flow, and we've got into some pretty deep chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. And you know, the the other question is, um, you know, we'll have we'll have a link to uh, switchonnow.com and everything in the show notes. But 
Um, where can people connect with you on social? Where do you, where do you like to spend your time? Well, I've just actually had a bit of a brainwave. I do all the social. If you go into Facebook, Instagram, blah, 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 LinkedIn, you can find me. Um, if you want to find them all in one spot, go to our website, switchonnow.com, and then there's buttons to go to different socials. But I have to say I've decided to double down on the old school and do email as my number one. Email, all right. So, sign up, so if you sign up for the email, if you go to um, – little button called inspiration on the front page there's lots of free stuff and meditation then your email will be captured and you we'll send you stuff i feel it's i just it seems to be the one that's working best for us and growing and i can speak more honestly and say what i want to say and and then point to articles i find social everything else gets lost in the in the social flow so that's that's definitely my my now favorite old school and bringing back the old school uh and doing email awesome right on well (laughs) Thanks so much for being here. Um, I really enjoyed this. I hope you did too. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, uh, we'll look forward to uh, to connecting further on down the line and see where see where this journey has taken you as uh, as the next wave of of change happens uh, within us. So, you know, I, I see a I see a um, sea change toward toward the compassionate coming yeah i'm looking at doug rushkoff's book uh team human sitting at my desk and i know there's a lot of um things going in that direction so um we look forward to um seeing where you can help take us in this beautiful love to come back um compassionate entrepreneurship compassionate capitalism is something i'd love to come and talk about because it's a, a big idea to be unpacked by a lot of people awesome We'll schedule later. (laughs) Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, guys. I'm going to run to to my boys. Uh, All right. Big love. Have a lovely uh, weekend. Thanks. You you do the same. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Show notes and more at jkwdpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. A Better Humanhood Production.